Good morning, church. I'm going to get behind the monitors where I'm supposed to be. There you are. Thank you. Thank you. And, and happy Mother's Day to our mothers. We have, uh, I'm, I'm not a holiday-based individual, and so I, can, I even asked one of the people, why is everybody so dressed up today? And they said, their mothers are coming. I'm like, all right, fair enough. Yes, yes. Moms, they dress like this every Sunday. It's just amazing, the effort they put into the outfits and the like. But it, it is, it's a wonderful, I don't know of any job harder than that of mother, uh, and I don't say that trying to be condescending, I've just watched it. And it is amazing, the things that you do. Now, we also, this is a Fourth Avenue uh, thing. We rejoice with who rejoices. And so we're going to rejoice with the moms today, with the families as they gather around the fully booked up restaurants, and the rest of us will be in Kroger to find the day-old sushi. The, um, and we're ready to see Jesus. We'll go for it. Um, it's discounted. What do you want? Anyway, um, those, that we also have people in our number who hurt on this day, and we always tell them, come anyway. We understand that some of you have lost your children, whether to rebellion or sickness or death or war. Some of you wanted to be a mother and have never been able to be a mother, infertility issues perhaps, or you never found the right guy. And, all. and we understand that as well, and we love you and our arms are around you every Sunday, and they're around you today. We get that. So I'll see you at Kroger. And now that um, Trace has blown my cover and I'm being paid for this, I better go to work. We're going to, many of you are going out to restaurants later with your mum, and that's a great thing to do. Luke's Gospel, we have looked at before. This is part three of uh, our look at Luke's Gospel with the Thin Places series. And moms, if you're visiting Fourth Avenue and you don't know Thin Places, Thin Places it was originally coined, I believe, by the Celtic people. It's very much in their... Um, their philosophy, their history, their culture, their traditions. The Celts have always said that spirit, the spiritual world and the physical world are separated by less than three feet. Sometimes they blend, and we look at those moments where the physical and the spiritual collide. We had one this weekend where we had two of our own get married, and that was a beautiful, wonderful thing I, I think. I couldn't see much because the sun was right there the entire time. And it was 120 or something. I'm not really sure what it was. Uh, being Scottish, we don't tan. We stroke. And so I, um, I saw Jesus. We had a conversation. Um, and and he, he enjoyed the elephant beside me. And then I was told it was over. But it was a thin place for two of our own. To, to, and it was so sweet and it was so wonderful. We have other weddings planned as well. We have other thin places where our children go through that next step. I mean, next Saturday, I've been invited to approximately 722 graduation parties. It is a, it's a, it's a thin place when we see these things. Luke's gospel is a sermon and a history. And as he indicates in his books, he had a mission. He wanted to get down the history of Jesus and the church, making an accurate record as close to the events as he could, uh, doing eyewitness testimony. He, he gets information that none of the other writers get, and he ties all the story together with certain themes. In Matthew, the theme is Jesus is king. He is the promised Messiah. And with Luke, it is the God who accepts us and loves us, and he uses the table to prove it. 
remember, we've said this so many times, but it, it just needs to be drilled into our head. To eat with someone was to accept them. I can remember once I got a phone call. I was supposed to speak at this event for uh, a church-related ministry. And a man was all, waffling all around, but I, I, I sensed early on what was coming. He says, we, we have to disinvite you. And I said, well, it's not the first time that's happened. I remember my dating years, but tell, <laughs> tell, me, tell me why this is going on. And I'll cut to the chase. It was because I spoke at a forum with a guy who spoke at a forum they didn't like. In other words, they felt like they couldn't fellowship this forum, therefore the guy that, he was poison, evidently, radioactive, he'd picked up something, uh, uranium-235, not really sure which one it was, but as he came, as, and I spoke with him at another event, that tarnished me. And I, and I said, I get that. Can I ask how many removes are acceptable? And, and he said, what do you mean? I said, someone who spoke with me, and I spoke with him at something which wasn't that one, is he tarnished if he goes to another one and speaks, are those people tarnished? When does this become homeopathic to where uh, at, at 10,000 removes, I'm still disfellowshipped? And, and he didn't know the answer either. Here's the point. Jesus was the opposite of that. He sat down at the table and had fellowship. Now, it's, it's a Church of Christ thing, and I think it probably is with other churches as well, where we joke and say, anytime we say fellowship, what we really mean is a meal. I get that, but the fact is, I mean, fellowship in Jesus' day usually ended up involving a meal. Jews were very, very careful what they ate, but also with whom they ate. All of these things had to be perfect. I think I've told you the story before. We're taking a cruise in January. We've got 20 other cabins booked with you guys, and we're hoping to, to, to send more, hoping to, to convert the ship, basically, because pff, here is water, what doth hinder? We could do this. <laughs> we could do this. Anyway, um, I, I once took 90-some people, and they gave us a bar in the very front, which is a beautiful place for our worship had a great time there, and I had told the ship's people for months, we're going to need grape juice, and we're going to need uh, matzah or crackers or something. They said, got it, got it, got it. On the day, here they come in with this giant bottle of wine, and I'm looking out. At this time, most of the people that came with me were from the southern states that, um, not, not you, more southern, shall we say, yet not to be named, but a, a random selection of those uh, more southern than you. How's that? And I, and I was thinking, oh, my goodness. And I said, no, we asked for grape juice. And they said, well, we thought we had it. We don't, but we got this. And, and I said, um, most of these people are from very conservative churches, and this is really going to screw them up. And as God is my witness, they turned the bottle over to show me the, the cover, and they said, no, it's okay. It's kosher. I looked at them and I said, we bat for the other team. Uh, now, God bless them. None of them, none of them complained when we explained the situation. Some showed us no harm done by coming up for seconds and thirds, but we, we got through there. And I, it, it's one of those, are we allowed to do this? Do we break fellowship? Jews are always very careful what they eat, and we know that. We see kosher. 
but also with whom. Who's at the table made a very, very big deal. Remember Peter in Acts chapter 10. Jesus had always said, and so had the prophets, that one of these days the Gentiles would be invited to the table. But when that day came, Peter was not ready. In Acts chapter 10, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, and as well as reptiles and birds. Then a, fish, uh, then a voice uh, told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was. And, and Simon's another name for Peter and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three, peop three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. In other words, I have called them clean. You go with the ones I call clean. So very hard. Not only was he to go and eat with a Gentile, he was going to eat with a Roman centurion, a ranking NCO for you military types, probably like a first sergeant or a staff sergeant, ready to lead battle against people like Jews. And God said, you go, and you go into his house, and you eat with him. Do not call anything impure that God has called clean. And that brings us to Luke. In chapter 5, we saw this earlier, he ate with tax collectors and sinners. And that's, that's scandalous to the prim and proper, the religious leaders, and to, and to be fair, to almost everybody else as well. In chapter 7, he eats with another guy named Simon and his guest, all Pharisees. All very, very, very conservative, it might be fair to say ultra-conservative people. And we know the story that one of the ladies who was a woman uh, of sin, most likely a prostitute, came in and cried over Jesus' feet and, and touched him and such, and it scandalized. But we need to remember when Jesus ate with the Pharisees, he was scandalizing those people of the street. Because whose side are you on? You're eating with those people. And these people were saying, whose side are you on? You're eating with those people. Jesus kept breaking barriers. In chapter 9, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. That's why we're, we're reviewing this. He fed 5,000. That's a miracle. Very impressive. But the point most people miss is that he ate with the 5,000. He didn't check them. He didn't see who had spoken with somebody at a certain forum. He didn't see whether their marriage and divorce was acceptable to him. He didn't look to see whether they, uh, what they ate or what they drank was really proper and acceptable. He didn't do any of that. He just ate with them. We don't really get this, but this is the main, one of the main reasons why many of the Jewish people could not accept Jesus because of the people he accepted. 
because of the people he loved. He didn't give these people any pop quiz on religion, lifestyle, position, politics. He ate with them. In chapter 10, he eats with Mary and Martha, and something we don't normally bring up here. He ate with Mary and Martha when Mary and Martha disagreed with each other. Not only did he not take sides, he made sure they were at the same table when he ate. As an indication, stop it. Just stop it. And then Paul's admonition to Yodia and Syntyche in Philippians chapter 2. I plead, uh, Philippians 4, sorry. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now stop right there. He didn't say which one was right. Have you noticed that? He didn't say, now, Syntyche, Yodia's got it. Or vice versa. He didn't do that. Instead, he just said, agree. Yes. And I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they've contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Just help them get along. He didn't give the co-worker any clue which one was closer to right, because that's not the issue in Jesus's church. It's not about being right about everything. It's about being with the right Savior. It's about staying close to Jesus the best you know how. In Romans chapter 14, Paul says, you know, those that keep a holiday, keep it to the Lord, and those that don't keep a holiday are not keeping it as a service to the Lord. So don't judge each other. Let them follow Jesus the best way they know how. Go ahead. Go ahead and be different. Go ahead and have different opinions. That's all right. But accept one another. Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Accept one another for the cause of Christ. In chapter 11 of Luke, Jesus eats with Pharisees and lawyers. And he he pronounced woes on them. He told them where they were wrong about a series of things, actually. But, and do not miss this, he still ate with them. Can you fellowship somebody with whom you are in strong disagreement? Nowhere but the church. And at the church, Jesus says, yes, you can, and you must. You must, even if you have a strong disagreement with them. In chapter 14 of Luke, he goes to eat with another group of Pharisees and lawyers and other guests, and he heals a man right in front of them, knowing that they have come to see if they can catch him doing something wrong. I've watched that. I've been at forums, religious forums, where a group comes in and sits and brings out in the old days their notepads. Now they got the phones or iPads, and they just look, and they just have that. You know that they're here to find something wrong. Remember, and I'm pretty sure I've told you this story as well, I was asked years and years ago to go speak at a a lectureship at one of our Christian colleges. And right before I got up, uh, this was a keynote thing, uh, the man that invited me leaned in and he said, you need to know that we have a group of preachers that always come to every one of these and then ambush the the speaker after. I'm going, really? How how long have you known about this? And, And he said, oh, it's been going on for years. And I said, well... Thanks for the five-minute heads up. So I, uh, I, I stood up and did my bet, and here they came. Oh, my goodness. White shirts and ties. Everybody else was kind of relaxed. That was the thing about this wedding. The invitation said to wear church clothes, and I said, this is Fourth Avenue. You need to be more specific. 
except moms for your kids who always dress up. Um, they, here they came, and they, uh, they, be they believed it was their duty to disagree, and they were going to be mad at this university because Jesus didn't do that. He just didn't. So who are we to do this? Perhaps there's a lesson here. Jesus just heals the man right in front of them, knowing that they're going to watch him, see if he's going to violate their traditions. He does so anyway. If it means he can help somebody, he's going to help somebody. Don't rush, he said, to get seats of honor. Be willing to take the lowest seat. Take a look at Luke 14. Long passage here. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus, now, by the way, Jesus, he wasn't saying, I agree with you. He's saying, you know, the real happy people are those that are acceptable to God. So he goes, a certain man. Let me tell you a story. A certain man was preparing a great banquet, invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who'd been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. <laughs> so many lines leap into my mind. The, uh, the, the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town. Bring in the poor the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then a master told his servant, go out in the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not a one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. What's going on? Who will God fellowship? Anybody who will show up. Anybody who will come. That's it. Josh Graves told me this story years ago, and I looked it up, and it was actually just an amazing story, and I'll compress it quite a bit. But a very well-to-do man and woman, a young man and young woman from well-to-do families, were going to get married. And it seems that the woman was a very delightful woman, and I know this from what happened next. Uh, the man chickened out and wouldn't, just the last few weeks, just decided he didn't want to be married. This was a crushing uh, embarrassment to this young lady. I mean, they had booked the halls. They had paid the caterers. They'd done everything. So what she did was she sent out invitations and had them take them to the poor and homeless all over that section of New York City and said, in honor of the missing groom, we shall be having boneless chicken. And... And they, had, they filled the banquet hall and had a fantastic day. And it's, it's a wonderful story, and it happens to be true. 
she had learned from this, hadn't she? I will accept who accepts me. And that's a wonderful thing. That encouragement we get from that, as Revelation twenty-two seventeen says, whosoever will. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who's thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Could we hold that one up there just a bit? I want you to think about this. I did this twice this week. Once with a man that asked me how to approach a problem at his church. The other with a person that was, that was very troubled about what his church was doing and if it was acceptable. I opened up Matthew 25 to them, and I've said there's only one person that walked on earth who, is, who knows what's going to happen on the day of judgment. Only one person has walked on earth who understands absolutely what's going to happen, and that's Jesus. And he told us what was going to happen. And we read over uh, Matthew 25 where Jesus said, you get to come in because you gave clothes to the naked, food to the hungry, you went to the prisons to visit, you cared for the poor and the broken and the, the thrown away. And I said, I want you to notice that every single one of the things that you are so very concerned about are missing. Not a one of those is here. What Jesus' priorities are, his complete story on that day leaves out what is concerning you. He doesn't say, get right, church, and you can come. He doesn't say, straighten up, you sinners, buck up, you blithering pagans, and you might be able to make it. He said, just come. Just come. Thank you for keeping that up. Jesus' arms are open, open wide. He's, he's not asking for people to come and see if they make the grade, to see if they're righteous enough to hang around, no. He says if you come to him and stay close to him the best you can, you're saved. We are not saved by our precision obedience. We are not saved by our perfect understanding of doctrine. We are saved by our proximity to Jesus. Because he fellowshiped us, we are saved. Because he sat down at our table. When people ask me how I like living in this area, I, I tell them the truth. And that is, I absolutely love it. And I talk about the places we see and the people we see and such. And I invite them. And I say, eat downtown. Go down South Broadway as well. Enjoy Nashville. But if, you're, if you see an old homeless woman, be nice. That's Steven Tyler. And he's... <laughs> He's moved here now. Now, you may not know this, but Stephen has, um, well, I was about to say he has an odd uh, aspect to his personality, but you know that. You may not know this one. Uh, I've, I've talked with several people who were just eating at a table, and he walked in and sat down and started talking to them. No particular reason, just... And they're, they're not, you know, one, one wife didn't know who he was. Uh, the, and the guy was, couldn't tell her because he was, you know, as we'd say in Scotland, gobsmacked. Uh, I don't know what you call it here, but um, forget, learn English. Anyway, um, it, and so he couldn't explain it to her. And, and it, it, was, it was hilarious. I like the idea, though, that he feels like, oh, I'll just fellowship this person. I'm not sure he knows the word fellowship, but you know what I mean. That whole point. And in case you still don't get this, Luke 22, the Last Supper. Jesus is about to die. 
and the men around the table are not going to be helpful. One will betray him. One will deny him three times. The others will run. John sticks around longer and a bit more than the others, but there's a running away of John as well. And watch what he does. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. He says that knowing that they're not going to be standing physically very long. And I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me. Stop. Have you ever thought about this? He knows what they're going to do, and he doesn't chastise them. He just says, I'm giving you my kingdom so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He treats us as if there's no sin in us. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, he already knows he's going to turn away. When you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Interesting that he says, the one who's going to fall away, I need you to come back and strengthen your brothers because people, we need to hear stories of people that have fallen away and came back so that when it's our turn to fall away, we know the road. And he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Peter answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me, you'll deny three times that you, you know me. He knew all of that, and yet he ate with them. He ate with them. That is just amazing to me. And then think about this in John chapter 13. I know I'm cheating. I'm going out of Luke, but it's about the same time. John chapter 13. After he'd said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at each other at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that means John, he hated to use his, to speak in first person, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. You know, ask mom, you know, that sort of thing. Leaning back against Jesus, he, re he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it's the one to whom I'll give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. I want you to get this. This is so important that you get this. Because all my life listening to this, I was told the story meant that Jesus was showing the apostles who was going to betray him. But they forgot something. Jesus fed him. Jesus ate with him. Jesus did not get up from the table and say, I cannot eat with a man that would betray the Messiah, the Son of God. No. He'll feed him too. When Jesus says, whosoever will may come, he means it. Even with all of our faults, all of our sins, which we work very hard to hide from the others, he knows them. It's okay. Come on in. How different is this than those, for example, 
um, a preacher that was very important to me as I grew up, very strong, very conservative, and I grew up in that side of the, the faith, said that if, if ever he, he was talking about why God wants grape juice at the communion, we'll talk. Um, said that if he was ever visiting a church and took communion, got it in his mouth and realized it was wine, he would spit it out and, and walk out. At the time, I thought, well, okay, that's what we're supposed to do. Now that I understand the table stories, I understand that's the opposite of what we're supposed to do. One of our couples here recently renewed their vows and, and invited some of their close friends to come, and for some reason I got hooked into that. I think it was because they wanted to invite Cammie. But I, so I got to come, and it was at a, uh, an Anglican church. Now, the Anglican priest, when they were there, part of their weddings, part of all of their worships is communion, because communion was something we took all the time back in the day before somebody told us it was a Sunday-only thing by reading Acts 20 poorly. If they'd read Acts 20 very well, they would have realized when they did get to the communion, it was Monday. But they don't own a watch or they haven't noticed. I'm not really sure what's going on. Anyway, so at the very end, there's a time uh, where if you want to come up to receive communion, you're to get up and get into the line. And there were several Fourth Avenue people there, and I noticed they were talking to each other. Not really, I, I thought, they may not know what they should do. I was sitting in the back, because for once I got to see what that's like. And um, so, I, so I just went ahead and walked forward, and then I noticed that they're following behind. But here's the thing which I really appreciated. The priest there, the Anglican priest, went out of his way, knowing that Church of Christ people were there. He said, because you were here and we, we do not want you to break anything that would hurt you or upset you, we put grape juice in the chalice. He said, I think it's the first time that's ever happened. And so a few of our people went, well, I'm not, I'm not going then. But no, they didn't. They didn't. Um, and it, and it kind of broke my heart in one way, but it also made me look at the guy and go, what a cool guy. He went well beyond his comfort zone so that he could fellowship with us. And I will never forget that. I walked up to him later and I said, I want to go out to lunch with you. I never say that to people. Never. Because that's normally not good when somebody goes, can we meet for lunch? Oh, jeez. Because nobody ever says, and you've won a car. It's always something horrible. And so, but I, I want to know from this fellow what path he's taken that got him to this sweet, grace-filled place. It's wonderful. By the way, in case you're wondering, um, wine is what Jesus used, and I've heard all the arguments, I've read the books. They don't make their point, and it's ridiculous. We need to stop that. During the temperance years in America, we, by that time, we'd weeded out a lot of it, but we stopped then, and a guy named Welch designed grape juice to be used for communions for Christians and advertised it that way. He became a millionaire and we became stuck with Welch's. <laughs> and now that we've used it all these years, we have to find scriptural reasons why that's the only way you can do it. That's ridiculous. That's called scholasticism, where you do something and then you go to the scripture to prove that that's the way it should be done. No, no, no. Uh, by the way, then why don't we put wine here? Because it we don't think you have to. We could do either way. Plus, we'll lay it on the table. We have people here that are recovering alcoholics. 
we'll do that for them. We'll do grape juice for them. Absolutely. You want wine? I know where they sell it. It's even on Sunday now, uh, according to the governor, I'm told. Uh, I, I don't, uh, and in fact, you go to Kroger, and there are 5,000 different kinds. You, what do you, how do you know what's, anyway. Um, and I've seen people on TV sip it a little bit and go, what? Why, why, why would you? Anyway, I don't get it. Um, anyway, point being, this preacher just brought us in. Don't do things that keep people out. Do things that bring people in. Acts chapter 15, big religious fight going on. What did the elders and apostles say? They said, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you guys. We need to make it not, not harder than it has to be. How opposite is that than most churches? Let's not make this harder than it has to be. Jesus record, uh, I'm sorry, Luke records one last table scene. The mood is dark and depressed, and a pall has fallen over Jerusalem. The disciples are scattered. The apostles are hiding in an upper room behind a locked door. Two dispirited, confused, and broken men are walking away from Jerusalem, walking away from the story that did not go the way they thought the story was going to go. And the death of a dream is the worst death of all. The dreams had died. But then Jesus appears to them. Now they don't know that it's him. And he guides them through the scripture to show them everything that happened was really what was prophesied. And it was part of God's plan. The dream did not die. It is merely that the dream is much greater than the dream you had. There's a greater dream out there. And then this happens. Last table seen in Luke. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. And they urged him strongly, stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what has happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Because nobody accepts you like Jesus. Nobody welcomes you like Jesus. Nobody's arms are as wide as those of Jesus. Mark, if you'd bring your team up. No wonder then that the book of Revelation ends not with a victorious Christ slaughtering. You guys walk in front. You're good. I'm tall. They'll see me. Where's the disembodied voice coming from, Mama? Um, no wonder that the book of Revelation does not end with a slaughter of the enemies of God. Oh, yeah, the devil and his angels get it. There's no enslavement of those who opposed him. There is instead this. And the spirit and the bride, let's stand for this, and why don't you read it with me? The spirit and the bride say, Come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. 
The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen.